You are listening to the Lakeview Podcast from Lakeview Baptist Church in Lacey Lakeview, Texas. Worship with us on Sundays at 1045 at 125 North Bermuda Avenue in Waco, Texas, or find us on the web at facebook.com slash lbc.laceylakeview. Amen. Uh, certainly kind of a privilege and honor to be present with you all uh, this morning, uh, with you all this morning, and uh, even though we're small in number, it matters not to me. I have a passion for preaching, and I have a passion for building God's people, and I'm just assigned to do just that. Uh, being 11 hours away from my own family, it's nice to get some intimacy uh, after uh, moving here from Nashville 10 weeks ago. Uh, I traveled here uh, to pursue my master's and uh, to see what God will have for me in my next, uh, apart from my norm. Uh, And uh, I'm just grateful uh, to Pastor Caldwell for trusting me with this moment. I know it's a bit of a surprise. Uh, uh, And also to Ben Fountain, who are great friends, and that's my brother uh, at Truett. So in their absence, I honor and salute them. But I also celebrate you guys for making it out on a Sunday morning, cloudy Sunday morning, uh, because uh, not just of your love for the church, but because you need a word from God. And so uh, I want to do that. I want to get right to that uh, word today. Uh, There is a word that is assigned to our lives that uh, I've seriously, I was speaking with Jacob today uh, ever since I was invited here uh, of what to say. Normally, it's my uh, tradition, my routine. I don't talk to the pastor about what's going on in the church. Uh, I'd rather not know, uh, but I'd rather God speak to me through my study and through my uh, devotion on what the church needs to hear uh, on a given Sunday. And so I think he's spoken very clearly uh, to me, and I pray that if anything, as I mentioned in my prayer, that you don't remember me, but you remember what it is that God has assigned for us to walk out of these doors for our lives. Amen? Amen. And as I was considering what to uh, preach today, I was... uh, kind of stopped, stopped uh, with some questions that I had to ask myself uh, in reflecting and in uh, hearing from God about my own life. Um, A lot of times we come to church or we come to places on our jobs and our families and we're so consumed by what is going on around us. We're so consumed about what other people have to say or what other people have to do. And very rarely do we take a sobering look at our own lives. Sometimes it hurts too much. Sometimes it's not as pretty as we would want it to seem. But there are times in our lives where God calls us to a place of evaluation, where God will allow some things to happen in our lives to kind of slow us down and to gain a clearer, a sober, and a very uh, pure perspective on what it means not just to live their faith, but to live life. Uh, And I'm sure uh, you're not the only one who's been there. I've had to ask myself, have you ever needed to right a wrong you did to someone? And what did you do with that next chance? We've all been gifted. We've all been graced with second chances. We've done and said some things that we shouldn't have done and shouldn't have said. 
and yet we were offered another chance. And some of us, we have gone past the second chance. We're on to the third, the fourth, the fifth. So we'll just call it another chance. And we have to think about that. What did you do with the next chance that you were offered? All of us in here belong to one or two groups. You're either one, uh, one, the one group that uh, is continuously in going in circles with what is going on in their life. They are repeat offenders. And when they're given their, uh, their next chance, they resort to blaming somebody else and everybody else for what's going on. But they refuse to look at their own selves. And instead of becoming someone who is transformed and changed by their second chances or their next chances, they seem to be a person that's full of broken promises. That's one group. You're either one or two. The other group is Consider those of us who have done some things and said some things and done some things and said some other things. But after having received forgiveness, they choose to make a deliberate decision that I'm going to change my way of doing. I'm going to change my way of thinking because I can't afford to simply live my life the way it has always been. You're the part of the group that believes in true repentance in turning away from your ways. Not just so that God will be pleased, but so that you will live a life that is full of life and full of the goodness and the grace of God. What would you do if God gives you another chance? Every day we wake up, every day we open our eyes, it is God giving us another chance to get it right. He's not asking for perfection. We'll, see, we'll receive that when we meet him in heaven. But he also requires us to be perfected, which means that at some point in your life, you ought to have enough word in you to want to move past where you've always been. We ought to be wanting, we ought to desire to mature. So this seems to mirror the message that uh, Jesus wants to get across to us in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, please open them with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And I must preface this by saying I'm a very personal preacher. I'm a very intimate preacher. I'm a very interactive preacher. And it's my job to present the word of God in sobering and challenging light so that we will see ourselves within the text. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's word. Hear ye now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Verse three, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Verse 5, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus told them this parable about a man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, 
and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. The people say, amen. For those of you all who are taking notes or would like to follow a certain thought or would need a subject for our discussion on today, I want to talk from the subject, just give me another chance. Just give me another chance. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke paints this picture of Jesus Christ as this universal savior. Whenever you read about Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, it is Luke's intention to prove that Jesus Christ is able to heal, save, and touch anybody, anytime, anywhere, and from anything. Which is good news for everybody listening to me today. Because if the truth be told, none of us will be here if God did not give us another chance to get it right. Not a second chance, not a third chance, but another chance to start all over again. And is there anybody in this building that's grateful that we have a God who gives us another chance? Because there are many times that we mess up. There are many times that we don't get it right. There are many times that we miss the mark. But God is so gracious to give us another chance. And so when we just to give us some context, I hope your Bibles are still open. I'm a Bible preacher. Just to give us some context of what Luke 13 is talking about, let's journey back a chapter to see what Jesus is really trying to say to us. So when we find Jesus in our text for today, he is on his way to Jerusalem, but stops along the way to dialogue with his disciples and to have a chat with a crowd uh, that has been lingering around him, waiting to hear another word from the Lord. So really, the context of Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, comes on the heels of Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 59. And there are about five lessons that Jesus is trying to get across between his disciples and the crowd, which leads us to where we are in Luke chapter 13. Let me give it to you. The first lesson that I see is a lesson about true leadership. And as you guys, the faithful, the faithful few, the movers and shakers of this congregation, true leadership is not about what you profess to know. True leadership is measured by how much of yourself you're willing to invest in others. And may that be a lesson to all of us in here who are not just leaders within the church, who are not just leaders in our home, but as believers of Christ, that we will be more focused on investing in other people than what our preferences and what our opinions and what our needs uh, are just are. And here, so here, Jesus raises some points of concern and contemplation, first with his disciples in verses 1 through 12. He says a word about being pretentious, uh, which is a word about being careful that you don't live a life in front of people that you're not really about out of the sight of people. Uh, because there's going to come a time in our lives where what's in the dark will be made into light. What is hidden will be revealed. Amen. Which begs the question, are you really who you say you are? 
or when we meet you at church, we're meeting your representative. Are you someone different in the in the church or on your jobs than you are at home? Or are you the consistent one? Are you the same one in, in the light and in the dark? But then Jesus turns his attention towards a crowd in verses 13 through 21. And he says a word about pandering using a parable of a rich fool, uh, uh, which says that you have to be careful not to live a life that's centered on stuff. Uh, because being blessed is not about what you have. It is about who has you. Uh, but then uh, when you know who you have, then God has no problem giving you stuff. So when we get our eyes off of who has what or who's going somewhere and what I don't have and put our attention on the love that God has for you. And we begin to define ourselves by how God sees us. He has no problem giving us the things of this world. But if you would chase God, he'll give you stuff. Not because you deserve it, not because you even want it but because he's God. But then in verses 22 through 48, Jesus turns back to his disciples to say a word about their priorities and their need to always be prepared. Because if we're going to be effective disciples of Christ, uh, uh, then you can't live a life that is consumed by worry. And I know for many of us, those of us who have kids and those of us who have different responsibility to do that in the 21st century seems to be improbable. We're always faced with chaotic and inconvenient situations and uh, circumstances. But Jesus calls us to a life not of stress and burdens and worry, even though we will face it. But he says, no, 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 no. Don't don't do that. Uh, uh, watch what verse what Jesus says in verses 25 through 26 of Luke chapter 12. He asked his disciples, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying at all? For if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Because the fact of the matter is, people of God, uh, even though you're blessed, you also have to learn how to manage your burdens. Because with God's blessings become, comes responsibility, not just to maintain it, but to grow what God has given you. For the scripture says in verse 48 of chapter 12, to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom much more has been given, much more will be asked of you. So in order to be blessed by God, you have to understand you're, you're going to be responsible for life's burdens. And then finally, in the last verses of uh, Luke chapter 12, all the way through the first nine verses of Luke chapter 13, Jesus turns his attention back towards the crowd and he gives a word about being perceptive of the times. What does that mean? Which says you have to be careful what you proclaim to be an expert of, because when God comes to evaluate our lives, uh, will it prove that we've been faithful or will it prove that we've just been fruitless? Which one are you? Are you a person that, has bought, that bears fruit, that there is evidence that you've been with God and that you know God? Or are you a person that is just fruitless? And so... That's really what Jesus is asking. 
is if we know what's going on with everybody and everything around us and in the culture and the news and in the election, but you can't discern his will for your life, there's a problem. How come Jesus is asking this question? If you know all of that, how come there's no real change happening in your life as a result of you being connected to me? That's the question we must leave here. When was the last time Jesus changed you? And so, if you need a thematic thrust for this sermon, if you need uh, a thesis for this sermon, this is what I want to talk about in so many ways for the next 15 minutes. Uh, this text is tailored to teach us that your ability to become fruitful in your future is predicated on your ability to manage change during life's seasons of sifting. What's another way to say that? Uh, in other words, if you're going to maximize this next opportunity in your life to become fruitful, then it requires a posture of repentance so that God can truly use you. If you don't allow God space to be God, if you don't allow God space to deal with the things you don't want to touch, the things that you hide through church work and through busy work and through your kids and through grandchildren and through busy work, if you don't allow God to have access to those spaces that we hide from other people or that other people may know, then we limit our ability to become effective and fruitful disciples of him. So, preacher, what do we do with our next chance? Going forward from here, how do we manage, how do we maximize our next chance? Well, I have two movements with uh, a couple little sub-movements that will help us in our journey to maximizing our next chance. If you're going to maximize your next chance, the first thing you have to do, our text teaches us, is to eliminate all excuses. It doesn't get any simple, simpler than that. Uh, uh, what, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, in verses 1 through 5, we find two practical applications that enable us to eliminate the excuses in our lives. And so, if you're going to eliminate all excuses out of your life, then number one, you have to do two things. Number one is you must release your right to blame someone else. Which means, people of God, that going forward, we have to stop blaming everybody for what's <coughs> happening in our lives. And we have to learn how to take responsibility for our own destinies going forward. But then in the second sub-movement, we find that after we eliminate the excuses of our lives by refusing to place blame on everybody and everything else, then we must receive the Savior's recommendation to repent. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 and I'll unpack it for you. <clears throat> the scripture says, There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4 and 5. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners or worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, Jesus says. But unless you repent, 
you will all likewise perish. What does that say to us? Although since the beginning of time, humanity has been surrounded by the presence of sin, what Jesus is suggesting in verses one through five, just as he does in John chapter nine, verses one through three, is that just because sin exists in the world, there are times in all our lives where our personal sin does not always warrant public suffering and tragedies that we may experience in our lives. Just because we have the human propensity to sin uh, or be sinful does not mean that your sin, uh, you have to sin for tragedy to hit you. What am I trying to say? There are certain things that happen to us that God sanctions and allows to happen to us or through us that happens in our worlds and in our communities, not because of a sin that you committed, but there are certain things that we must endure together because it releases us from being selfish people. Because the truth of the matter is your worst day is somebody else's best day. On your worst day, somebody would love to have the problems you have. And so what tragedies and the cancers and uh, mass shootings call our attention to is not on ourselves, but on each other. That's why when we come to this place of worship and this place of edification, we ought not leave the same way we can. Even though we know the people that are in here, even though we've seen each other week in and week out, if somebody comes in here depressed and sad and upset because they met you today, they shouldn't. The word shouldn't just hit them. The music shouldn't just address it. But because you are in their presence, they are to see Jesus through you. And so what do we have to do with that? We have to understand that there has, a ch there has to be a change to happen in our lives. Why? Because your kids depend on it. Why? Because your job depends on it. Why? Because your future depends on it. And if you refuse to change, if you're saying, I'm gonna I am who I am, this is how God made me, and I'm going to stay that way, then you are limiting your witness for Christ. But if you make a deliberate decision today that I'm not going to blame other people for every, what's going on in my life, but I'm going to allow this situation to change how I think and how I see what is happening so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. Israel Hewton used to sing this song that said, where would I be with, uh, with, uh, if not for your grace, carrying me in every season? Where would I be uh, if not for your grace? You came to my rescue and I want to thank you, Lord, for your grace. And the truth, if the truth would be told today, all of us are in need of grace daily, hourly, every second of the day, because <coughs> none of us are perfect. Oh, I have some right here. None of us are perfect. And since we understand that none of us are perfect and that we all will always have some growing to do, then let's move to the next movement. If we know now that in order to maximize our next chance, that it requires us to eliminate the excuses in our lives. My dad did this. My mom was not this. My husband did this. My wife did this. Life didn't turn out the way it was. If you will choose today to quit telling the same story you've been telling yourself, it will free your life so much so that God will be able to fill in the voids 
so that you can be a greater blessing to other people around you. You can't do that unless you stop blaming other, other people and everything else. And you can't do that unless you decide to repent. If you don't make a decision today to turn from your ways, then you'll always get what you've always had. But what is the second movement? Uh, your next chance is not only an opportunity for you to eliminate all excuses, but in the second and final place, uh, your next chance serves as an opportunity for you to execute or become excellent at executing. So on one end, God uh, challenges us. Jesus challenges us to see our own mess, to see us for who we really are uh, in light of his grace and his mercy. But on the other end, he requires a response from us. And that is we must produce something. If you're really saved, there ought to be some fruit. What is a fruit? A fruit is anything that has a seed in it. And all of us are filled with seeds. But it is our job to till that ground, to allow God to till that ground, to water and to, to nourish us so that we can produce more seeds or more fruit of Christ. Watch verses uh, six and seven. Uh, Jesus first gives us a word about the need for repentance in verses one through five. But in six to seven, in the second movement, six to nine, Jesus gives us a word about redemption. We find in verse six that Jesus begins to tell this wonderful parable about a man who planted a fig tree in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Watch how in the movement we found we find a record of wrongful reviews, a record of regretful reviews. Uh, verse seven says, and he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Which says to me that it is possible to be planted and connected to the right source, yet our connection, yet our being connected is only camouflaged because we don't have the intention to develop and become resourceful. What I'm saying is you look like you're healthy and like you're whole, but you're really barren. You're planted, you've got leaves, which is suggestive of your potential, but you're deceptive, deceptive because behind your leaves, uh, or your name, your title, your money, your education, your, your, uh, what you present before people, you are really actually deceptive, deceptive. Could it be that some of us in here are connected to a ministry, an opportunity, or a certain group of people, not for what you can give, but for what you can gain? My uncle Bishop uh, Kevin Willis said it like this, are you a user? And not a giver? Are you so selfish and stingy that you are willing to suck the life out of everything and everybody around you with the intent of not putting back anything you got from it? That's basically what God is asking you every time he comes to evaluate our lives. He, the condition of our lives. And so when you read verses 6 to 7 or whenever you read the word of God, you have to put yourself Within it, that's how the text comes alive. 
you have to understand what everything represents. In other words, you have to put yourself inside of the text. The fig tree, let's look at our text today. The fig tree is indicative. It represents you and I. The vine dresser or the gardener represents Jesus. And the owner of the field or the one who plants us is indicative of God. And what's interesting about fig trees in Jesus's day in a first century Palestine, uh, uh, Palestinian setting is that fig trees were one of the most productive fruit bearing trees in all the land. And fig trees have three seasons where it produces fruit, which is 10 months out of the entire year. And even in a great environment for growth, if what surrounds it fails to produce anything, you can always count on the fig tree to produce something. And after three years, the tree was considered to be fully mature, which says to me that no matter where you're planted in your life, you will constantly be placed under evaluation because you have been designed to procreate, to reproduce and to grow. Which leads me to ask, what have you done lately? What have you done lately in your household? What have you done lately in this church? What have you done lately on your job? Can people see Jesus in you? Or have you settled with just living an average life? Apathetic to God and to your spouse and to your purpose that is designed to benefit other people. Have you settled for less than your best? I mean, it's been long enough. You've been connected to some good word long enough that your life should not remain in the shape that it's in. I mean, how many times will you be on the verge of doing this and doing that? On the verge of going here and going there? On the verge of getting back in school? On the verge of reconciling that broken relationship on the verge of writing that book or starting that business plan or on the verge of getting your finances in order. How long will you remain on the edge, on the verge of doing something great? And so what I want to speak into your life, what God has spoken to me privately and what he has shown me even in my own life is when you give him room, he'll grow what you have. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you a reason to wake up in the morning and be happy about it. You won't have to fill your schedule up so you won't feel or uh, sense the noise and the chaos that always meets you when you open your eyes. But this is your season to, for open doors. Whatever it is you've been holding off on, whatever it is you have dismissed, whatever it is you've told God no to, this is your season the next two months left in this year to say yes. Lord, whatever you're doing, don't exclude me. But you have to understand that just because things aren't the way you need it, you don't have the money you, you want or things aren't uh, pristy uh, or with roses and uh, everything is not sunshine does not mean that it's not God. Because sometimes uh, what if this is a season of evaluation and sifting where God has to shape, <clears throat> excuse me, where God has to shake and strip or search the leaves of your life to see if you produced anything? What if the season that you're in is God telling you, hey, let's get some things in order. 
I have some things for your life. I have some things that I want to accomplish through you. But I need to I need to take care of some things. Not you. I need to take care of some things for you. So let's watch what happens in verses four, eight through nine. I'll pray for you and I'll take my seat. That whenever we have a record of regretful reviews, whenever God comes to evaluate our lives and he exposes the the dark pieces, the pieces we don't want our family members and our church members, our wives and husbands and girlfriends and boyfriends and children to see. He says, I'll come and rescue you. How do I know? Watch what Jesus says in eight through nine. He says, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and watch this and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. (coughs) Have you ever said out loud uh, or to yourself, Lord, get me out of this situation? I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with them. But have you thought, ever thought, what if he doesn't want to? What if he wants to grow you in this mess? The stuff you are in is the perfect ground for God to grow you. What if the reason I got you, what if God is saying this? What if the reason I got you out of the mess you were in was to plant you or put you around something that will grow you? But here's the catch. It'll stink. Manure or fertilizer uh, serves a twofold purpose. It's not just the excretion of waste, but it's also the foundation for what makes you better. That's why you can't become bitter Because sometimes God will allow you to be surrounded by stuff that stinks in your life so that he can grow you. Not to hurt you, not to make you bitter, but use that as the perfect fertilizer to grow you. The fact of the matter is, when you encounter seasons of sifting, it has been designed to build you and not destroy you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And so for those of us who are wondering, God, when am I going to get out of this mess? When is the bank account going to get better? When will my children come back to you? When will they stop antagonizing and threatening me with the stuff they know about me? When will I not be stressed? When will this disease or this sickness or this ailment lift off of me? What he's saying is, you have to bloom where you've been planted. You can't be promoted for your future unless you're going to be fruitful where you've been planted. Because when you begin preparing for your next now, it shows God that you're putting your faith into action. And if you spend more time developing yourself and not your problems, then God will clean up your mess. You have to bloom where you've been planted because in this mess are the nutrients you need. In this mess is the prayer life you need. In this mess is everything you need to make it to the other side. It stinks, but it's going to grow you. It's a mess, but it's going to clean you up. It's heavy, 
but it's going to mold you into your destiny. How can you be strong if you've never been weak? How can you be wealthy if you don't know what it means to have lack, experience lack? How can you handle more if you don't even value what you have now? What will you do with your next chance? Let me pray for you.